Hello, and welcome to episode 55 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media. As we all know and talk about a lot here on the pod, communication is vital in the analytics space, especially when relating stats and advanced numbers to people who are less familiar with the data. And since communication is the main job of a sports journalist, we wanted to have one on to discuss using stats and stories. So today's guest is Kaylin Kaler, a senior NFL writer for The Athletic. As she'll explain, Kaylin has a traditional journalism background and also likes to use numbers in her stories. So I wanted to pick her brain about using and communicating that data well. In this conversation, Kaylin and I will talk about her journalism path to where she is today, her general approach to using stats in stories, deciding on the right amount of stats to include and how to incorporate them from a writing standpoint, how data usage has evolved in journalism, how people looking to enter the media field should study data, and of course, the upcoming Super Bowl. Then Sergio De La Espria will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with The Athletic's Kalen Kaler. We're joined now on Expected Value by Kaylin Kaler, senior NFL writer for The Athletic. Kaylin, welcome to the show. Let's jump right into the Super Bowl coming up this week. What, what's most exciting for you about getting to head to Arizona and cover the Super Bowl? Um, thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, I think the most exciting thing is, um, I don't know, I like this matchup a lot. I think the Eagles, I, honestly, I don't know what my prediction is. I really don't. I haven't landed on one yet, but... I've really enjoyed watching the Eagles in particular this season because of the ways they have just so efficiently ran their offense. So I'm really excited to see that in a Super Bowl. And um, I mean, we saw the Giants safety. Uh, I think it was yesterday. He kind of went viral. Julian Love for saying that the Eagles just have a ton of good players and Nick Sirianni isn't doing anything. I would disagree with that. Personally, I think that is not the take. Um, I think Sirianni has done a really good job in Shane Steichen in particular, and even going back to Sirianni giving up play calling. I think that was a really unique decision that we don't see a lot of or enough of when it comes to head coaches who their bread and butter is their play calling. So that is something that you know, that's not new to the Eagles, but he did that last year um, midway through the season. So I think that is just when you look at these Eagles and the story of them, that is a huge part of the story is Sirianni's decision to be more of that head coach, um, general manager, like the CEO version of the head coach who's overseeing all aspects of the team and not just the offense. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, I'm trying to think other than that, uh, I haven't been to a Super Bowl in two years, so I think I'm just excited to go. And, like, this is probably the first, like, normal one with regular in-person availability and, you know, uh, all of that, like, since COVID two years ago. So that's just exciting to see um, and have, like, normal – like, we'll be able to go into the locker room. So I'm excited for weird stuff like that, like going into the locker room. Because at the last Super Bowl I was at, the Niners lost, and I – volunteered myself to do the losing locker room story because that's my favorite um thing so i went to the losing locker room and it was just really interesting i mean nothing crazy happened but it's just like really fun and it's, it's interesting to observe what happens when you lose a super bowl because you got so far and 
you failed. And it's just interesting to see humans in that moment. And obviously it's, it's sad for them, but um, it's just a unique situation. So I'm excited to go back into the locker rooms mainly. Yeah. 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 I'm here. I live here in Kansas. So I'm surrounded by Chiefs fans and stuff. And it's interesting that there's, I mean, there's, there's confidence and trepidation at the same time, you know, like obviously this offense is great, but at the same time, you know, Mahone's ankle, they have no receiving core that's healthy. The defense has been playing better. Philadelphia also has you know, a really good offense that's it's been a machine. So they're not overconfident, but you still have confidence. But they're not uh, they're not scared, but it's, but they're wary. So you know, I mean, it all adds up to you know, it's a one two point spread. So that's kind of what we kind of get we're looking at. So I think yeah. people here are excited about it. I think it's going to be a really, I hope, and I think it will be a really competitive, very close game. Yeah, should be fun. All right, so let's get into your path, how you like to use data in, in journalism, et cetera. Let me just start with kind of your background. How, when did you get the journalism bug, specifically the sports journalism bug? Yeah, um, I only could really write. Like that was pretty much the only thing I was able to do in school and the only thing I liked. Um, I really hated like pretty much every other subject that wasn't like English or history. So I was pretty limited to like what I was going to do anyways because I knew that I really only like, I, I got like C's in math because I just did not try because I hated it. Um, so I was definitely like that kid who was like, um, you know, good at school, but not good at all school, just like certain parts of school. So journalism was very easy for me because, or to land on, because I really was only good at one thing and I knew I was going to do something with writing. And I also really liked sports and I subscribed to sports illustrated growing up. Cause I was a big NFL fan used to be a Chicago Bears fan. Um, And so that was really a natural thing. And then I went to Northwestern. And part of the reason I went to Northwestern is because I wanted a good journalism school, but also Division I college sports. I wanted to be like at a place with like real sports that mattered and um, had good opportunities there, which was a great choice because then I worked in our athletic communications department as my work study. And I was also a cheerleader there. So then I was basically like every single day I was like doing something related to sports. If I wasn't cheering at a game, I was working at the game. Um, and like there was one weekend where I was literally, it was like Thursday night volleyball, Friday night. I think there was maybe another volleyball game or something on Friday night. Saturday I was cheering the football game Sunday. This was like in November. So basketball season was just starting. So then Sunday we were cheering the basketball game. So it was like literally like four days in a row of just like sports activities. So that's what really got me into it. Um, then I went to sports illustrated after college. And that's where my career started. Yeah. I was just to say, so after going to Medill Northwestern, what was the basic, I mean, path seems like just kind of, you know, progressing along through your career. What was your basic path to get where you are today at the athletic? Yeah, I was at SI for five years. I started as an editorial assistant to the MMQB, which was our, it still is the name of the NFL website there. But at the time it was run by Peter King and Peter had started like his own website at Sports Illustrated that was just dedicated to NFL coverage. And we had a really, really good team. Jenny Brentis is there. Robert Klemko was there. Connor Orr, he's still there. Um, it's a really good editors, Matt Gagne, Mark Maravik, um, Gary Gramling, Peter. And Peter, I started off as an editorial assistant. And part of that was like being Peter's personal assistant. So that was really a fun way to come into the business because he obviously is like at the top of the game and has been covering the NFL for you know more than 30 years um, so he's got so much experience. And so I learned a lot from him. And then um, after that, I got laid off in 2020. And by that time, I was a staff writer, but I got laid off. And then I went to Defector, which was really awesome. If you're not subscribed to Defector, you need to. They have some amazing 
uh, really smart and like different type of sports coverage and also coverage that's not just sports. Like they'll write about anything. And I really miss that aspect of working there because you could just, you could write a personal essay if you wanted to. You could write about, um, like I did a travel blog after I went on vacation and had like a fun experience. And so really the Defector has everything you could really ever want to read. Politics, culture, mostly sports. So I was there for a year and a half. That was an awesome experience. Then I went to the, uh, the Athletic this past September. One of the things we noticed, you know, among a lot of writers at the Athletic who like to use our site to research stats, incorporate them to stories, spawn stories with them, whatever it might be. So what's your just general approach to using stats in stories, whether it's advanced stats, basic stats, what's your general approach to that? Yeah. So true media, we did not, I've never had access to true media until the athletic. And I know that ESPN has it too. And I'd always be jealous because I would see them tweeting things that like I could not look up. And I was like, that's really annoying. Um, I'm definitely, um, a very specific stats user. Like I do not go onto true media every day and like, look at what's going on. Um, I use stats when I have a very specific question. And most of the time the stat that I'm looking for doesn't actually exist. And I have to like filter to create it, um, which is cool. And that's why it's really cool to have true media because before like there's two, there's at least two stories I wrote this year that, I could not have written at another place that doesn't have true media because the stat does not exist. Like um, one was quarterback sneaks and we had to create that stat because it doesn't, I mean, different, there isn't like a hard and fast definition of what a quarterback sneak is. So we, we had to sort of say, okay, it's a quarterback designed run under center with less than two yards to convert. Some people might say just one yard, but, that wouldn't be accurate because there are several that are more than one yard. Right. Um, the Tom, Tom Brady five-yard sneak. Yeah, especially with the well, you know, distance to first, even yeah, yeah. Even, even being away. Yeah, and um, the Eagles have had several like two yards out for this season. So that was a story I, I looked at how the Eagles have like really exploited the quarterback sneak and would not have been able to do that without being able to like filter this exact report. So that was really cool. And then there was another one I did earlier this season where um, I was noticing a bunch of teams would run plays out of shotgun with like less than a yard to go. And everybody was getting really mad about it. And so um, I wanted to, cause a lot of them weren't working, but I was like curious what the success rate actually was um, in those situations. So that was cool because again, like I last year when I wasn't at the athletic, I would not have known how to figure that out. Wouldn't really have had a resource to be able to do that. So I was able to look at the data there and it actually ended up exonerating a lot of the teams that run plays out of shotgun with um, less than a yard to go because the success rates were like pretty simple. There wasn't a huge difference between under center and shotgun. So that was really interesting too. And that got people riled up because everyone likes to complain about it, but it really it's an okay coaching decision. Right. Okay. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you tend to let the I don't know, story lead you to a number, something like that, rather than maybe the stats spawn the story. I and mean, you can do it both ways and both can be effective. It sounds like you're a little more in the have the story and then find the supporting information for it. Would that be fair? Yeah. And it's like, I'll just like observe something and then think, okay, I need to find out what that, um, what that number is. Uh, and like for, I did another story where I could have done it without 
knowing this, but um, it was helpful to create a report for it. But I did a story on um, <clears throat> how the Packers have used rookie receivers in the past and what it's like to be a rookie with Aaron. And so I wanted to know how the Packers rookie receivers snap count compared to other teams, rookie receivers snap counts, like over the entire uh, time of Aaron's career. So we were able to create a report about like looking at every single receiver that was drafted in, you know, since 2008 and see how many, what their uh, participation was and how much they were involved in the offense compared to the way that the Packers have used rookies. So that was really interesting too. How do you decide on like how to, how much data to put in a story by which I mean, you know, I do a decent amount of writing. A lot of it's numbers oriented. And sometimes I feel like I'm just adding a few words to a spreadsheet or something and it's not super legible. How do you approach that? How do you decide the balance of, you know, words and numbers to simplify it? Yeah, I think I was worried about that with my quarterback sneak story because it was so heavy on um, not even just numbers, but like describing plays. And I know for myself, my eyes kind of glaze over when I have to read too much about like X's and O's. That's not what I loved. I I like watching football, but I don't like love reading about X's and O's. So I I was kind of afraid that that was going to be an issue, but I think it's just a balance of storytelling in there as well like you have the numbers in there uh to prove your argument but you have to weave in like anecdotes and um quotes that are interesting from players who are involved with the stats so i think it's just having a balance of an actual narrative that is supported by numbers but it's not just like listing numbers mm-hmm. yeah so you referenced this a little bit um work for peter king one of the things his advice that he gave you was to write quickly and be smart how do stats come into play on that last point, whether, you know, being judicious or using them or how, how do the numbers affect kind of the, the be smart portion of that advice? Yeah, I think it's crucial because, um, like I said, you have to have the numbers to like prove the point or to show what you noticed. Um, so I think having the numbers there, First of all, it shows that you sort of went the extra step to do the research. And then second, it just, you know, makes your argument, it makes your point, it puts it into a concrete, especially when you can compare, you know, obviously you you always need like the context of the numbers. Like if I told you, oh, the Eagles have run, um, I think it's now 35 sneaks. I'm trying to do the math. Right, right. It sounds like a lot, but you're not really sure. Right. But you're like, well, what does that mean? And then I say, oh, well, the rest of the league averaged 8.1 sneaks this season. And then you're like, oh, my God, that's insane. So that's, I think, the smart part is, like, using it with the context to have the better understanding of it. And one thing that uh, was just funny is, like, going back to the shotgun story, like, I can't remember the specifics of this now, but, like, I asked it in a press conference. And then someone I know around the NFL who who does analytics was, like, where did you get that data? Cause it wasn't matching up to what he had. And I was like, Oh, and so like I sent him my true media link. I sent him like my data set. And he was like, Oh, like, well, if you sort it by down instead, the numbers change and told a different story. And now that I don't have it in front of me, I can't remember specifically like what changed on what down. It was interesting because you can essentially like use 
I, I forgot what he said, but he was like, you yeah, it's can, probably like if you strip out second and one, it changes everything or something. Yeah. Like that. And then, but then his point was like, you know, you can, you can prove whatever you want and you can tell whatever story you want with numbers. It just depends on how you look at it. Because if you're looking at it, just third and fourth down, it says one thing. If you're looking at it, any down, it says another thing. So it was really interesting to me because I was like, because as a journalist, I'm like, oh God, that makes me uncomfortable because I'm not trying to like fudge things, you know, like trying to use what's actually happening on the field in numbers. And I'm like, shouldn't numbers be like this inarguable thing? Like it's not an opinion. It's the fact, but the, but the truth is you can use different types of numbers and like filter the data in a certain way. And it does tell a different story. Uh, and I was like, Oh my God. So I had kind of like a revelation earlier this year where I was like, wow. And then this guy was like, well, that's why data is so fun because you can play around with it and do a bunch of different things. And I was like, I guess, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I used to, when I was, I was at ESPN, I used to work on a show called Numbers Never Lie. And part of the premise is, you know, each side of the argument has a number. And as a researcher, I was like charged with finding the number to kind of support both sides of the argument, exactly. which it definitely kind of makes your head spin. And, you know, you slice and dice in different ways and there's issues with each way of doing it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing that just takes a lot of time to kind of, you, you got to know what you're looking for, know what you're trying to figure out and be as contextual as possible, I guess. Yeah. Um, how have you seen, so, you know, in your journalism career, how have you seen the use of data in journalism evolve? Cause I, I mean, I think from a NFL, major league baseball, whatever sport we've seen data explode with StatCast and NGS and all that. How have you seen that change uh, over the course of your journalism career from that media perspective? Yeah, I think a lot. I mean, I've mostly just covered the NFL in this time period. So, um, you know, there's the next gen stats, which nobody really knows what is being done with those in terms of like. Right. They're mostly proprietary of the league and teams. Yeah. So there's next gen stats, which is tracking everything with the players and also the football, which they hopefully someday they will be able to implement. Um actual purposes for the chip in the mall, but I know that it's very hard to do that. Um, so that's interesting because it just seems like, you know, there's more data points that the league is collecting in general, but then also, um, you know, teams are hiring a lot more people to work within data and analytics roles. Um, that, that's really exploded over the last like five years, I would say like every team has multiple employees in those divisions now where it used to be, you had one if you had one. Um, so that's really fascinating. And I think broadcasters are slowly, very slowly coming around to implementing um, analytics into their broadcast. So like recognizing like, oh, that wasn't a good punt. Let's talk about it. Um, which is really great because for a long time, and even just last year, I wrote a story last year about the whole entire Fox, like all the old men who are on Fox, which is like everyone, um, it's just like a panel of like Hall of Famers that are old. And um, all of them were like crapping all over analytics. La this was just last season. They had like a five minute segment about like, oh, the numbers, like, you know, and they were like joking about it. And it's yeah, like, I was throwing things at my TV. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, that's not helpful. But then on the other hand, there's some guys that are really good at it. Like Jay Feely is good. Greg Wilson is getting really good. 
um, at critic, you know, delving into criticizing when things don't make sense, when you're being a conservative play caller and, you know, using your timeouts in the right way and all of that stuff. So it's evolving a lot to incorporate more of that game management analytics uh, influence, which I think is really good and needed. And it's been honestly really educational for like me and I think other reporters who, um, you know, we don't study like game management and analytics every day. So to hear it start to come into the regular broadcast a little bit more is really helpful. And I've gotten a ton of story ideas from people in those roles around the NFL, which have been really fascinating. And it's actually an area of the sport that I think is really cool. And I, and I'm personally really interested in. You mentioned uh, the difference kind of media, not necessarily studying numbers as part of that training for someone in school or looking to maybe break into the sports journalism media field. Uh, you recommend any certain approach to, from an academic standpoint of how to approach data or you know, study data or something like that, whether it's classes or whatnot, what would you kind of tell someone who's trying to get into the space as it changes? You could definitely do the opposite of what I did, which is, um, nothing, which is, I, I was required to take econ and stats and I did the absolute bare minimum and got a C in both of those classes and absorbed nothing. I have no idea how to use Excel, like no concept of Excel, um, which is horrible. Like, honestly, I, every off season, I'm like, I'm going to do an Excel crash course so that I can use this to my benefit. I never do. Um, Someday. Yeah. So I would say like, take your stats class and take it seriously. Um, and don't just do it because it's a prerequisite to graduate. Uh, I mean, I literally had to take it twice and I still didn't learn a single thing. So, um, yeah, I would say take it seriously. Uh, I think it could really help. Like I'm, I mean, I'm getting by without (laughs) having understood any of my stats, but it would certainly be helpful to like, you know, cause I know there's a lot of people who cover football, like, like Mike Sando, who I work with, he keeps a ton of spreadsheets. Like, um, some of them are very numbers based. Some of them are like tracking coaching changes, but he does a lot of that stuff on his own. I think it's really helpful for him to be able to like compare things over time. And like, he does a lot of his own like stats tracking and I probably will not ever do that because I'm just like not that comfortable with numbers. So, um, I do think it's super helpful if you do take a stats class and you take it seriously, it's probably good advice. Have you ever run into any situation where, you know, you're approaching a certain storyline and the numbers either push you a, maybe push you a different direction than you intended or contradict your original thesis, anything like that. I'm wondering how you approach something like that. If you've run into that situation. Um, yeah, I mean, with the shotgun story, I was probably expecting it to be really bad numbers for running a plate like that out of shotgun. Um, when you're less than a yard to first down, like why would it make sense to like move the ball five yards backwards? Um, so I think in that case, I was thinking it was going to show me that it, it was a bad choice. Either way, it's a story because people were talking about it. So and then I think I was surprised to be like, oh, wait, it's not like significantly bad. Like it's pretty close to the same success rate. It was almost like insignificant, the difference. So, right. um, 
So you still have a story. It's just a different story than the one you yeah, originally Yeah, it was intended, just right? a different point. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But now it makes sense why so many play callers do this. Yeah. Any stories from dealing with a coach or a player who, whether you bring up a stat or it's something you wrote and they're, they see a number and they have an opinion or, you know, not a run-in, but just curious, an interaction that's kind of based on numbers that you bring up or, or put in a story? I think they usually really appreciate um, hearing numbers because for players in particular, like Jason Kelsey, when I presented him with all of the QB sneak data on the Eagles, like the actual hard numbers, he, in his role, he doesn't really deal with that. Like he right. loves he just to just has play. to do it. Yeah, anecdotally, he knows it works because – He's like, yeah, we're running this a lot and it's successful, but he doesn't actually, he's not actually tracking how many times they've done it. What's the success rate and him and Travis Kelsey on their podcast. Um, they talk all the time. Their tagline is like 92% of the time. So that's what they thought the success rate was based off of, I think what it was for them last year. Cause they were very clear. It was like 92.1 for them last year. So I think that's where that originated out of. But then when I told him actually with Jalen, you guys are at 93%. Point three, And actually it's probably higher now because I think all of their last four have been successful um, since then. But I was like, actually, you're at 93.3. And he was like, really? Wow. You know, <laughs> and then on their podcast, they literally like read the chunk of my article that was like about the data because they were like, okay, we finally have the numbers, you guys. Like, you know, because all year they were like, yeah, we don't know if this is a real number or not, but it's just close, you know? So like in that situation, Jason was like, oh, yeah. And I think it just lends you like a certain credibility when you can say, Hey, this has happened this many times. And like, this is how successful you've been on it. Like they know you did the research, so they're going to take you a little bit more seriously. And, um, you know, it's, it shows that you like actually studied it and looked into it and un have an understanding of it. And it was funny because for the same story, I was at Tom Brady's press conference in like December and I asked him about the sneak uh, data on the Eagles because he was like the master of the quarterback sneak and they never ran it at the rate that the Eagles are running it. Um, but he was so successful at it. Um, he had a, I mean, similar success, uh, success rate, if not higher, because they ran it fewer times, but so I just wanted to know, and he's such a football junkie that I figured he was probably paying attention to what other teams are doing, particularly on this play that he had been so good at. So I, you know, ran down what Jalen Hurts had done, like gave the numbers. And I was like, the most you ever ran in a season was 18. You know, they're in the thirties here. Like, what do you think of that? And he said, while I was listing the numbers, he said something like, wow, like sick data. And people on Twitter clipped just that. Not his answer, nothing else, just me reading the numbers and then him reacting as like, wow, sick data. <laughs> and he tweeted it and said, Jalen or Temper, he doesn't give a crap about Jalen Hurts. And I was like, that's that's not what happened at all. Like he was genuinely reacting. Like he doesn't show a lot of emotion. That's not like his style of speaking. So he was just like taking in what I was telling him. And his answer, he actually gave like a genuine answer where he was like, oh, yeah, they're doing it really differently there. And I'm really interested to see how defenses start to react to it because it's really impressive, blah, blah, blah. And like he gave an actual answer. So like in my opinion, he was appreciative of like learning that information. But other people 
thought I was just talking to talk to hear myself talk and to say numbers. So that was kind of an interesting. Um, yeah, just like we said with the numbers, context being important. Obviously, it's important from a, a words and a journalist right. standpoint too. Uh, let me finish up the main portion of the interview here. Just pick out something that's very non-data. But what was it like learning the icky shuffle from icky woods? Oh. <laughs> that was cool. Um, that was like five years ago now. No, more than that. Seven. That was 2015. Eight years. Seven or eight years ago. Um, that was the 15th season. We did like a Super Bowl road trip. It was Super Bowl 50 that year. So we did a Super Bowl road trip from New York to San Francisco and stopped at different Super Bowl, like, you know, things. Different places, things. things. So we found Icky and he taught us the Icky Shuffle and it was fun. He's a very loud man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll finish things up with our playing favorite segment here. Uh, just a few quick hitters to get you out of here. What's your favorite number, your lucky number and why? I hate even numbers. Like, you hate even numbers? I truly hate them. Um, I said this to a couple of my friends the other day and they were like, they're super type A, like very organized people. And they were like very upset by that statement. Um, no, wait, does this mean like any number that's divisible by two? Or are you talking like the round numbers and the way we always celebrate, you know, 10th and 20th anniversaries or something like that? Oh, I don't have, it's like, just like two, I guess divisible by two. I just don't like, I like odd numbers only like 23 would be fine. Um, 29. Great. I don't like 28. I don't like 26. <laughs> so, so it works you know, for football because you got sevens and threes. And exactly. Like that. I, I don't know why. I just really am opposed. They're ugly to me. <laughs> and I just like how, um, probably because my birthday is like all odd numbers. So I just really like that. And um, I think three and 17 have been my favorite numbers, but I don't really know why. All right. All right. Do you have a favorite? Who's your favorite athlete as a kid? Uh, it was Devin Hester, which oh. what was, I, I'm not going to be able to pull his number off the top of my head right now. Uh, most, uh, most, uh, return touchdowns in NFL history or whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, you went to Northwestern, covered all the sports. Do you have a favorite Northwestern sports moment? Yes. 2014 at Notre Dame. I believe it was a double overtime football victory. Um, 40 to 43 or something along those lines. Uh, great game. I was there. That was my senior year. I was uh, cheering at that game and it was so exciting because we were certainly not supposed to beat Notre Dame. We we're not a good team that year. Um, and we were not supposed to beat Notre Dame on the road at Notre Dame. So that was just so great. It was amazing. It was epic. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, favorite pizza place in the Chicago area is Northwestern student Chicago resident. Now it's your favorite pizza place. I'm not trying to start fights. Um, yeah. I don't like deep dish. Uh, uh -oh. so that's controversial. Uh -oh. I like, I mean, I love how it tastes, but I have to take all of the cheese off or I feel like I'm going to die. It's so, cause the cheese is literally like, a, like yeah. it's like an inch and a half thick. Like it's yeah. not a joke. So, um, if I have deep dish, I just take the cheese off. But, um, I think my favorite would be um, there's a place called Michael's, which is thin crust and it's on Broadway here and it's really, really good. All right. All right. Thin crust aficionado. Uh, finally, you have a favorite, how did I get here moment? You know, one of those moments where you, your career just brought you to this place and you're able to soak it in for a minute and think this is really cool. Yeah. Um, probably. Uh, I don't know. There's been a lot of those. I think the main one would be, it's not really like a cool place, but it was like, a, what the hell am I doing? Um, I decided to, this is like three years ago. I decided to tra track a football 
in its entire journey being made into a football, meaning I selected two cows that were alive. Oh, and I love I, those yeah. yeah. And I followed them through the entire process and it took a year. It took an entire, it took like finished to start like an entire year. And when I had to see them slaughtered, I, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, I was like, why did I think this was a good idea? <laughs> Football is brought you to a slaughterhouse. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a unique story to end on. We'll say. Caleb yeah. uh, yeah. Taylor, senior NFL writer for the athletic. Thanks for joining us here on expected value. Thanks Paul. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to The Athletic's Kaylin Kaler for joining us on the show. Follow her on Twitter at Kaylin Kaler, K-A-L-Y-N-K-A-H-L-E-R, and check our show notes for that link and other links about Kaylin and her work. I'm joined now by producer Sergio De La Esperia. Sergio, like me, you have a journalism and media background yourself. What did you take away from the conversation with Kaylin? I thought it was very cool to not only hear her journey right and her backstory and how she got to where she was but it was cool to see what she picked up along the way right a lot of times in life and not just in careers but also in life we we learn things as we get older and as we progress and it seems like in her career she did a really good job of being able to pick up a couple things here and there from kind of each stop i think most notably was uh the nugget of advice that peter king gave her when she was working um as his assistant and also doing some projects over there at Sports Illustrated and stuff when he said to her, write quickly and be smart, which is, um, I like to think of my stepdad who tells me uh, briefly, but in great detail, tell me why. And it's one of those, yes, of course you want to write quickly and and, and be smart about it. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you, you need to be told those things so that you can kind of have an approach, you know, oftentimes when I, when I like to write, oftentimes I kind of get boggled up in my own head about um, wanting to get all of the ideas that I have onto a piece of paper and then from there develop them into like an articulate piece. And a lot of times you kind of overload yourself and you're too hard on yourself and the whole write quickly and be smart kind of while funny when you hear it is actually really good advice because it's a way of really contextualizing and really bringing down to a simplicity of what to do. Don't overthink things. You know, if, if you feel like it's a good thing to write, write it. And if your editor edits it, that's fine. That's what they're there for. But, you know, get it on a piece of paper, put it down. Don't think too much about it and continually move forward, you know, in something like journalism. When, and when we use statistics in journalism, we kind of get bogged down into, I want to be super duper exact and precise in things when sometimes it's better to be obviously accurate. You know, you never want to be inaccurate, but accurate, quick, concise, get your point across so that you can continue forward to whatever it is that the next point is. So I think that she really expressed that when she was talking about her experiences. Um, and it's cool because, you know, I, I enjoy, um, you know, I did, you know, I always do some, some research on all of our guests before they come on and, you know, reading some of her things on the athletic. It's, it, it's, you can see that in her writing. And I think that that's something that is, um, very useful to not just, you know, her, not just every journalist and any writer, you know, even if it's not journalism writing, but writing in general, I think it's a great piece of advice that people can take. Yep. I will yeah. say I disagree with her even numbers take because I love even numbers. Uh -oh. So, <laughs> oh, well, she's gone. So I guess we can't fight about that. right No, now. we can't fight about that. I'm a big fan of round numbers, which are usually even numbers unless they end in five. So, 
Well, I'm, I'm weird with that because I like even numbers, but I also like numbers, um, what I call the football scale. So I'm perfectly fine mm-hmm. with a seven, with a 21, right. with a 35. It feels um, normal, right? Yeah, because I see them so often that they become normal in my everyday life. Yeah. But that's just one of my many quirks. That's funny. So. Yeah. I, one thing that I always think about this a lot is in the, I'll just call it the sports analytics space, speaking broadly. You know, at one end of that spectrum are uh, numbers people and who, you know, here's a spreadsheet. And from that, at that end, you often need a story to go along with it to get your points across. At the opposite end is kind of, I'll just call it the journalistic end. And as story writers, they often need numbers to get their point across, to back them up, to be smart, to explain a point, whatever it might be. Uh, and all of us in this space are somewhere on the spectrum and always trying to find where the right place is on that spectrum, given what our role is. Uh, I think of what Devin Pluler, who is with Toronto FC, would always say is that only use numbers if necessary, basically. Like if, if you're as even as an analyst, if you can tell the story and you don't have to like throw in a number, that's okay. If you just say they do this a lot and have some video to back it up, you have found that from numbers. You can back it up with numbers, but sometimes you don't even need those numbers uh, explicitly. Uh, And the other end of the spectrum is, again, you have all these numbers and the best one may not be the best one to use in a story or to get a point across because you have no story to go with it. This would happen on TV a lot at ESPN where the, the best note after a game might have something to do with a, you know, outside linebacker who did something that was rare. That's might be nice, but if you're a sports center and you have 30 seconds to talk about the game afterward, you don't really care about that. You want to know what the best quarterback number is because that's what you're going to talk about and lead into your analyst who is a quarterback or something like that. So it's the balance we all in this space have to figure out all the time is how to combine stories, how to combine stats, uh, what's the right amount of each in whatever format you're doing, and how to get your point across. So it's there's no right answer. It's everything's situationally dependent, but it's it's what we always have to figure out. Right. Well, it's a working relationship, right? Like, for example, ahead of the Super Bowl, right? We know that some a big stat that's been kind of thrown out there on a lot of our media partners like, you know, Ringer and Athletic and Sharp Football Analysis, they've kind of been using the stat recently where in terms of offensive EPA, uh, which is expected points added, the Eagles and the Chiefs are one. I think it's Chiefs are one, Eagles are two, but the gap between the Eagles and the third best team is the exact same gap between like the third best team and like the 16th best team. So it's, it's a massive gap between the Eagles and the Chiefs or, or Chiefs and Eagles, I should say, are very clearly the best offenses in the league in terms of EPA. Uh, but but without the context of the story, right, going into it, without the the narrative of, oh, we're going to watch these two offenses, then that stat means nothing. You know, there's a relationship where in order for the stat to make sense, you need to have a story. But also in order to enhance that story, the stats are do a really good job of of, of doing that for the overall narrative and arc of, you know, in this example, something as massive as the Super Bowl, you know? Yep. So, yep. And that's the fun. You find the numbers to back up the story or you and, find a story in the numbers. And, and that's what we're here for at True Media. Go either Paul. way. Go either uh-huh. way. Always. All right. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks again to The Athletics, Kaylin Kaler, for joining us on the show. For more episodes with writers and others whose job it is often to communicate data well, you can check our show archives for episodes with NFL Network's Cynthia Freeland, The Athletics' Mike Sando, MLB.com's Mike Petriello, and many more. While you're there in the archives, please subscribe, rate, even review the show. That's always helpful. And please share the show across social media or wherever you can. On behalf of producer Sergio De La Espria and all of us here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thank you for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. 